you're, if you're new or visiting here this morning, uh, my name is Jordan, and I have the opportunity to serve as the local pastor for our NDG congregation. And so here I am downtown. Um, I want to start by acknowledging that <clears throat> the Christian life is full of a whole lot of unmet longing. And so in a room like this, with a lot of different people, varied backgrounds and so on, there's going to be people here in all sorts of different places with those longings. Um, some of you are going to be uh, here and you feel very stuck in your relationship with Jesus. I was talking to someone this morning and they were conveying going through a season like that. You know there's more. You know there's more to be had of God. You know there's more intimacy and yet you just feel stuck. And others of you, you know you should want more, but you just don't. You feel dry. And yet, again, there are others of you who are not stuck in a cycle like that, but it's a cycle of addiction and pain. That you've tried again and again to give something over to God in prayer, and yet it keeps rearing its ugly head, and you just don't know what to do with it, and you want to throw in the towel. Some of you will have unmet longings like that. Others of you will yet have unmet longings around prayer. You're praying and you're just not seeing the breakthrough that you're hoping for. You're not seeing the miracles you're praying for. God's voice feels sporadic and distant. And then finally, there's others of you here in this room who just want to make a difference with your Christian life. You want to move from a place of your faith being like sophistry to substance and you just don't know where to start. Well, wherever you're at today in these unmet longings, I want to say that you're in the right place. <laughs> you are in the right place today. The joyless, the powerless, the sort of inconsequential Christian life that you might be living. Let me tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. All right? You can change. More accurately, God can change you. Okay? And that's going to come about through fasting. You're like, ah, oh, fasting? <laughs> yeah, fasting. That's probably not the answer you were hoping for. You know, I thought Jesus was the solution. I want to say, yes, Jesus is the solution. He's the answer to every question, the hero of every sermon. But fasting is a tool that helps us press into him more, his rule and his reigns. Fasting is a means of us experiencing, of us feasting on his grace in new ways. Well, how so? Today I'm going to give you the what, the why, and the how of fasting. That's what we're going to be looking at. The what, the why, and the how of fasting. And so let me start with the what. What is fasting? Let's explain some of that. I think fasting is the most misunderstood and probably one of the least practiced of all of the spiritual disciplines. And, you know, in my uh, five years now of bivocational and then full-time pastoring, I've had a lot of people ask me about, you know, how can I grow my prayer life? You know, how can I Sabbath better, press deeper into community? I don't think I've ever had somebody say, how can I grow in my fasting? Ever. And, you know... I guess that shouldn't come as a surprise to me, but it actually did, that when we did the spiritual inventory, that sort of survey that we sent out, thank you for those who filled it out, um, 
that of all of the spiritual disciplines, fasting was by far the least practiced, okay? And so this little mini sermon series we're in is a response to that. We want to equip you and launch you into a life of fasting prayer, okay? And then, of course, feasting is the other pole of that, which we'll be looking at next uh, week. But fasting is, is... probably this least practiced spiritual discipline, certainly the case in our church. And I think that's partially due to a lot of misunderstandings. And I think one of the misunderstandings we have around fasting is we just don't really know what we're giving up. It's just not that clear to us, you know. I, um, let me tell you about the first time I ever fasted. It was basically prescribed, okay. I had a colonoscopy. <laughs> okay, so this is actually not the kind of fasting we're really talking about today, okay. They make you drink this horrid liquid, Okay, and just everything comes out. And so imagine I've, I did do that, okay, but I go in to have the procedure, and I meet with the doctor, and he sits me down, and he says, okay, so how did the fast go? And I say, well, you know, doc, I haven't looked at uh, social media in more than 24 hours. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> like, you didn't get it. You know, I meant fasting. Fasting is from food, and actually that's what we see biblically all in all. All the way through scripture, fasting is from food and maybe water on top of that, okay? We confuse fasting with abstinence, abstinence from social media or TV or alcohol or whatever, but fasting is actually primarily meant to be from food. And we're like, well, why food? Well, it's because food is essential to our lives, okay? You can't live without food and certainly not water, right? Food is essential to our lives. And so fasting becomes this lived out analogy in our body of our complete dependence on God, just as it is with food. Okay? This lived out analogy of our complete dependence on God. That's what fasting is. And so it's from food, and we sometimes confuse that. But it's from food, okay? Different than abstinence. And so from food, and then some of us hear, well, food, and that elicits a whole nother range of misunderstandings and heart emotions, right? Things around food sensitivities and eating disorders and um, the heavy expectations of certain religious systems and beliefs. Things like Ramadan, right? Earning the favor of God through the five pillars of Islam. And what we want to say in response is like, no, 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 this is Christianity. Christianity is like full of grace. It's different. And I'm like, yes, Christianity is full of grace. It is different, okay? And that fasting is not a command. It's not something you do to earn God's favor. It is a response and an invitation into deeper life with God. Fasting is not a command. It's this invitation and response to deeper life with God. And what do I mean by response? Let me turn you to a first passage here in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to refer to this a couple times today. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, I appeal to you, therefore, that by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Or you could read that, in view of God's mercy, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's in view of God's mercy. It's a response to what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus has given everything to himself, body included. 
See, God's mercy was this. This is what the gospel is, that when, where, where Adam, that first ancestor of humanity, ate fruit in a garden, the second humanity, the one who sums up humanity, Jesus, he fasted in the wilderness, where we self-indulged and turned in on ourselves, in our desires, in our sin, and destroyed ourselves. He, Jesus, always self-denied and turned himself outward, surrendered his desires and body right to the point of death so that we could have abundant life and power in him and have our desires reordered, right? And so this is God's mercy. And it's then in response to it that we give ourselves wholly back to him, fasting included, right? Because fasting is something we do with our bodies. And it's connected to our desires, right? And so we're like denying certain desires. And we hear this and we wonder, well, isn't that, isn't that like super repressive? And I want to say no, it's actually not. See, St. Ignatius would say something like this. We, we crucify our body and its desires, not so that our desires can be erased, but so that they can be raised. Not so that they can be erased, but so that they can be raised with Christ and God. You see, fasting, here's Sam Storms, fasting is not about denying yourself. Fasting is about satisfying yourself in God. In God. Do you see it now? The fasting is that. It is this joyful response. It is this good and right response. It's this lived out analogy of our whole life is one in dependence on God and that it's he that satisfies us. And so it becomes both this response and this invitation into deeper life with God. It's amazing. It's not a command, man. It's not a command. That's why it reads like this in the text that we read, our teaching text. Matthew Chapter 6, right? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, famous passage. Jesus teaching through this talks about when you give to the poor. And then he talks about when you pray. And then he says, when you fast. In other words, fasting here, it's not a command. It's just an assumption. It's the assumption that you're going to do it like prayer and giving. Fasting then is this invitation into ordinary rhythm of life with Jesus. That's just part of our apprenticeship to him, just like prayer. Isn't that something? Have you thought of it like that before? Fasting is just this ordinary rhythm of life and apprenticeship with Jesus. Is that how you think about it? John Ortberg, he has this really helpful book on spiritual formation. And in it, he makes this connection between prayer and football. The Hail Mary throw. You guys know what the Hail Mary throw is in football? It's this sort of desperate attempt to turn the game around, right? And so John in his book, he goes on to say that for many outside the church, prayer is like that. It's this sort of desperate attempt. It's this sort of Hail Mary to turn your life around. And I would add to that how many of us for those of us inside the church, is fasting this sort of desperate attempt, this sort of Hail Mary to turn our lives around before God. It's not meant to be that way. 
That's not how Jesus invited us into fasting. Fasting is not just meant to be a response to a crisis, a sort of desperate need, as appropriate and good as that is, okay? There's many examples of people fasting in response to desperation. But Jesus in this passage, you see, it's an ordinary expectation. It's a rhythm of life with Jesus that he's inviting us into just as ordinary as prayer. And you see that? Fasting is saying, okay, God, I'm just not content with the status quo. I'm not content with seeing things keep going as they're going. I want more of you. I want more of your spirit. I want more of your presence in your life, more of your kingdom and power and joy working itself out in me and in my church and in this city. God, please, would you move? Please, I'm starving. I'm desperate for Are you desperate for him? Are you hungering for him in that way? Does it matter to you more than food? We're in this cultural moment where fasting is making a sort of resurgence. Where the gods of health and wellness in appearance are motivating people to give up food. And I want to say, okay, great, but how much more compelling, how much more satisfying, how much more joy-giving and power empowering to us in our spirit is fasting for God? Do you hunger for God? Is that enough to move you to fasting? Not just the gods of health and appearance. Let us be a people like that, hungry for him, wholly discontent. They call it. Psalm 63. David in the psalm says it like this. Psalm 63 in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Does your soul faint and thirst for God? And you know what's amazing is he promises to meet us in those places, to fill us with hunger. Verse 5, David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. As with. It's not that he had fat and rich food. It's as with fat and rich food. My soul will be satisfied and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Jesus wants to meet you in that hunger. Fasting then becomes feasting. Dallas Willard says it like that. Fasting is indeed feasting. When we have learned well to fast, we will not suffer from it. It will bring us strength and joy. Wow, that's what fasting is. Do you know that? Fasting. It's this response and this invitation into deeper life with God. It's feasting on God. That is what fasting is. I love that. I love that. So if that's what fasting is, then why? Why would we fast? Well, I've kind of already started into it. But let me give you how John Mark Comer unpacks it over at Practicing the Way. He unpacks it with these four very helpful categories. He says, we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. That's what we've already started looking at. Two, to grow in holiness to amplify our prayers, and to stand 
with the poor. Those are four things there. Offer ourselves to Jesus, grow in holiness, amplify our prayers, stand with the poor. I'm going to go through all four of those. Get ready. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, to offer ourselves to Jesus. Okay, this is the heart of fasting, feasting on him. If I go back to that passage in, in uh, Romans chapter uh, 12 and verse 1, it says again that we are to offer, I appeal to you, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. See, notice what it says here, that we are to offer not just our minds and our hearts, right? This is what we as evangelicals would love to say. But we are to offer our bodies, our bodies, fasting included. See, fasting then is this invitation to reintegrate spiritual formation with our body. Right, so often when we think spiritual formation, what are you thinking? Listening to this sermon, right? Reading that book, that podcast, whatever. And that's good and right, and you should, you should do that, okay? But fasting is this invitation into spiritual formation, not just with your mind, but with your body and your belly. Isn't that something? And you're like, well, why isn't prayer enough? Like, why can't I just pray? Why prayer and fasting? Like, why make it so intense? And I want to say it's intense because it's meant to move us from mere talk. It's meant to move us from mere sophistry to substance, right? Where faith is substance. It's so easy for us to live in the land of intellectualism. But this moves us out of that into substance in faith right, with our very bodies, right? Let me give you an example of what I mean. See, you, it's so easy just to believe you're dependent on God, think, yep, yeah, you know, I am, I'm dependent on him for everything I have, but let me tell you, it's a whole nother thing. When you live that experience down to the life of your very selves, when it becomes ingrained in your muscle memory that you are a dependent creature, Right? And so fasting is invitation into spiritual formation with our bodies, that we want to live with our bodies what we believe and we say with our minds. It's this reminder that our bodies are a gift, a living temple of the Holy Spirit, part of who we are, and given to us to equip us in our life with God and as a part of our apprenticeship to life with God. Jesus. And so we include our bodies. We fast as an offering of worship and devotion to Jesus. I love the story of Anna in Luke chapter 2. You guys know the story of Anna in Luke 2? It's pretty short. I won't turn to it. In this story, Anna's wife probably died when she was in her early 20s. And it says she was in the temple at 84 years old and that she had been there daily in prayer and in fasting, longing for the redemption of Israel. Man, a woman in her 20s living her wife, she could have easily resigned her life to a life of moping and reclusion. And yet there she is in the temple, daily seeking the true and better joy giver and husband of her soul. And you know what? Jesus met her in that place. And just like Jesus met Anna in that place of prayerful fasting, so he can meet you too in your place of feeling stuck in your relationship with Jesus. 
you, this is where we started. I said, many of you here likely feel stuck at some point in your life in your relationship with Jesus. And it's so easy in that place to recluse and to mope and to spiritually withdraw. And but my invitation to you is instead, don't withdraw, press in. Press in, try fasting, try giving of yourselves more to Jesus, offer your body as this living sacrifice, and just like Anna was met by God in that place, so too I believe he wants to meet you in that place of worship and devotion. It's not coercion, it's a love offering. You're just giving of yourself more completely to him. And he meets you in that place with his grace. That's what fasting is. And so we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. That was the first reason. Another, we fast to grow in holiness. Joel chapter 2 in verse 12 reads like this. Joel chapter 2 in verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, rend your hearts, not your garments. We see lots of examples like this in Scripture of of fasting as repentance and confession as a sort of mournful prayer. We see it from uh, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, to Nehemiah after the destruction of Jerusalem. Fasting is this deep repentance and confession and mourning. And you know what? This does something. Okay? God invites us into fasting like this because it does something. It grows us into holiness, to Christ-likeness, or you could say wholeness of character. It's what we see in our teaching text. In Matthew uh, 6 and verse 16, it said at the end there that your, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And I think this is what it's talking about. It's not just saying that like he'll reward you in, in, in the future at some point in heaven. It's saying he'll reward you like in the now, that God's going to help you grow in holiness through your pursuit of him through fasting prayer. And how's that? How does fasting help you grow in holiness? Well, I think it works something like this, okay? The scientists say that um, when you fast, there's all this stuff that happens in your body. You know, apparently there's these like dead cells and after about 24 hours, your body starts to, like, eat the dead cells. I don't know. Ask somebody who knows this stuff. Okay, your body's, like, cleaning out all these toxins. Okay, again, the lived-out analogy, just out your, as your body is, like, cleaning out the toxins, so, too, when you engage in fasting with God in prayer, so, so too, that can happen in your soul, right, spiritually speaking. You see what I'm saying? Isn't that powerful? Okay, and so if... If you're somebody who's fasting, you've probably experienced something like this, right? That as you go into that place of fasting, you just find yourself, you sort of like want things that distract you from God less. You desire sin less. And you just sort of desire God more. And you like just find yourself praying more. You're just, man, I just want more of God. I'm kind of like into it right now. You can't even put words to it. And it's like, yeah, it's because it's happening in your body. It's spiritual formation happening in the body. And so you're just sort of praying more, and you're feeling the power of God flowing in you in a way you haven't felt before. Why? His strength is being made perfect in your weakness. Right? So all of that's happening when you're fasting. It's expedient in fasting. And so your body then is not an enemy in your fight against sin. It's actually, Comer would point out, an ally. Right? 
Your body is an ally in your fight against sin. See, it's helping you fight the cycles of sin and shame, the addiction cycles, which are actually harming your body. Fasting with your body actually helps by the power of the Spirit to root those things out. It makes you open to the inflowing power of God, help purge you and clean you and rid you of the toxins in your soul. Isn't that something? I, mean, I keep on saying, isn't this amazing? It really is. See, a lot of this was news to me as I pressed into this subject. And so this is all happening uh, while you're fasting. And you can do this reactively to sin. This can be fasting can be part of your prayers of uh, confession and repentance. And so next time you, you are brought through something, you're like, whoa, the Lord just showed me that. I had no idea. I am so convicted of that. Godly sorrow can look like fasting. You know that? I'm like, we get all weird as Protestants. We're like, no, but like, you can't add to the atonement. Jesus already done it. I'm like, yes, 100%. Jesus already done it all. But by fasting, that can help press you into the grace of God that is available to you in the atonement. Okay, help make you more aware of who you are and your humanity and the goodness of God meeting you in that place. Okay, so fasting can be part of this repentance um, that we do. This is invitation into it, right? And it's also not just something we can do reactively to face sin and temptation. It's something we can do proactively, right? So you think about Jesus. Jesus with, was without sin, and yet what does he do during his ministry, right? Actually, it's before it. He goes to fast. In the wilderness, the spirit led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And what happens at the end of 40 days? What happens when Jesus is at his most hungry point? Satan comes to tempt him, right? And we probably think, well, here's Satan coming to tempt Jesus. Satan's coming to tempt Jesus as like his weakest point. We think Jesus is at his weakest point when he's fasting, right? But Jesus is not his weakest point when he's fasting, like Satan probably thought. Jesus was at his strongest point when he was fasting. Fasting made Jesus strong in the soul while he was weak in the body, right? And the same can be true with you, okay? If you're here and you're stuck in a cycle of sin and addiction, let me say this to you. Keep going to counseling. Keep doing whatever you're doing. Keep staying in change groups. Stay in prayer and accountability group. But try fasting. Why not? How much do you actually desire to break free from that sin that's holding you down? How much do you actually desire to, to break out of that habit of putting people down with your words? How much do you actually desire to break free from, from porn and other sexual addictions? Do you desire that more than a loaf of bread? Do you desire that more than breakfast or lunch? Well, if that's actually the case, why not step into that and just plead with Jesus that he'll meet you in that place and that in that place of weakness, your strength will be made perfect by the power of his spirit and you will be able to overcome that cycle of addiction and death. It's possible. Man, Jesus invites us into that. He models it with his very life. You don't just need to... You don't just have an opportunity to fast reactively, but proactively, right, in this way. Let the spirit work in and through you to clean out the toxins that are in your soul. And so we go to fasting to grow us in holiness. And we grow to fasting, third reason, to amplify our prayers. That when we fast, we tend to see that 
we hear from God and he hears from us. So we hear from God. In Acts uh, chapter 13, let me give you an example. This is the church in Antioch. It says that 13 and verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. See, it's when they're praying and fasting that this word from the Spirit comes. It's when they're praying and fasting that guidance and discernment comes. It's when we're fasting so often that we actually hear from God. And you know what this launched? This moment of worship and dedication, of giving themselves as the local church in fasting prayer to Jesus actually launched church planting. It launched the church into the Western world. This was the start of Paul's first missionary journey. Prayer and fasting. We tend to hear more when we pray and when we fast. Okay? And the other part is that prayer amplifies our prayers in that just God hears us. Fasting, fasting does this. It amplifies our prayers so that God hears us. There is no doubt as you look through history and scripture, a correlation between fasting prayer and answered prayer. There is a correlation between fasting prayer and answered prayer. And I could give you a lot of examples, but let me, um, let me say it like this, okay? There's, like, why is that? Why is there this correlation between fasting prayer and answered prayer? Is it because God hears us only when we fast or something like this, or because fasting earned God's favor. It's no, no, no. It's, it's not that, that. I already said fasting is a response. It's not something we do to earn God's favor, okay? But the reason I think we see this correlation is because fasting is a type of persistence. It's a type of like whole body insisting, okay? And God values persistence because persistence builds faith, right? Have you seen this in your life? Have you ever prayed for something for a long time? You pray for something like a day, you pray for something a week or a month, and then it gets to this point where you're like, I don't know if I just keep praying for this thing anymore, and you just sort of want to stop, right? Well, what gets you through? See, it's, it's to the degree that your persistence is to the degree that you have faith, right? Faith and persistence are deeply interwoven, right? And so God values that. God, God values faith and persistence because it's in that place of persistent prayer where we're saying with that whole body insisting, God, there's nothing I can do. God, there's nothing I know that's going to change this situation, and yet I believe you're good enough. I believe you're strong enough to pull through, and I'm going to keep praying no matter what that, God, you would pull through in this situation. And you know what? That, that gives glory to God, and he delights to respond to prayers like that because it shows his goodness. It shows his power. shows his might in our lives that it wasn't us. All right? And so when we fast, we tend to, God, we hear better from God, and he, he tends to hear uh, from us. Okay? Fasting amplifies our prayers. And then fourth and final reason, we fast to stand with the poor. You might not have been expecting that fourth reason, but uh, here's something I learned. Did you know that through most of church history, the vast majority of Christians fasted regularly? Did you know that? I didn't know that. I just kind of knew of it, that people fasted, sure. But regularly, do you know how often Christians fasted up until about 200 years ago, like in all church traditions? 
twice a week on Wednesdays in remembrance of the betrayal of Jesus and Fridays, the death of Jesus. And then they would break fast on Sunday with a feast, the resurrection. That in a small way, Christians were reliving throughout their week a bit of the life of Jesus, this invitation into it. Isn't that something? And you know what they did with that? That the time and the money they saved, they collected it and they gave it to love and serve the poor. They did that. Okay, think about this. Think about this. If you have three people who are fasting two times a week, that's enough meals to feed a fourth person for an entire week. For every three people, you can feed a fourth person. Okay, see, we, we hear about the church in history before the social systems of the government today. Like all of the social systems of the government today are modeled af, in the Western world off of what the church used to do. And we're like, how did the church ever do that? How did it feed a quarter or a third of the population? No, no, no. It's because people were fasting. It's not because they were making more money. They were giving up more of what they already had in fasting and prayer as service. Think of our own church, right? If you apply this principle in our own church, we have 250, 300 people, okay, attend regularly. If 300 people were fasting just once or that two times a week, we could consistently feed another 100 people in this city all year long. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't that just blow the paradigms in your mind? This isn't about like making more money or serving on top of what you already have. This is just about being intentional with what God has already given us and living lives of simplicity and generosity and service towards our king. And this is amazing. And you're like, well, what inspired them to fast in view of the poor in this way? Well, let's turn to Isaiah 58. It reads this. 58 and verse 3. Why have we fasted and you, God, have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure, says the Lord, and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. In other words, fasting and living in an unjust way hinders your prayer and fasting. And then God goes on to say in verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness Righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This, my friends, is what motivated the church throughout history to fast and to pray and give themselves over in a life of simplicity and generosity and service. And my friends, this doesn't need to be relegated to the halls of history. This is a word for us today that I believe that God wants to invite us, God wants to invite our whole church and you included into a life of simplicity and generosity and service, okay? And it's going to start small. 
We're going to make mistakes, but we are going to invite all of our church into regularly fasting and seeking the face of God, that he would move in our time, that he would move in our city, and that we would take seriously the injustice that plagues this nation. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? This spirit is speaking, and he wants, he wants to draw us into a deeper life with God. This is why we fast, my friends, to grow in holiness, to offer ourselves to Jesus, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor, okay? Through fasting, Moses received the Ten Commandments. Through fasting, Hannah conceived of the prophet Samuel. Samson was made strong, but then he lost his strength through self-indulgence. Through fasting, Elijah called on and called off a famine. Through fasting, Daniel had a revelation about the future. Through fasting, the Jews in the time of Esther were spared from a genocide. Through fasting, the Ninevites were spared from judgment. Through fasting, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Through fasting, the church in Antioch was moved to start church planting. All of that was through fasting. Okay, St. Basil the Great would say it like this in the 4th century. Fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the brave, a discipline for champions. Fasting repels temptations, anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety, a crafter of a sound mind. In war, she fights bravely, and in peace, she teaches tranquility. This, my friends, is why we fast. But finally, how do we fast? Well, I'm pretty green at this. But my advice is to start small. Let me tell you a little bit about the first time I tried fasting. I'm not talking about the colonoscopy this time. Not for that. It was in the first year of my marriage, and in that year, I was part of two company-wide layoffs. I was working as an engineer, and this was all stuff outside of my control, and um, the company had promised to rehire sort of that third iteration of company layoff, and this time it didn't, and over the course, a lot of time had gone by. Now it was like a year worth of being laid on and off, and it was super frustrating. I was getting super desperate and upset at God, and I had done some stuff during that time, like volunteering with Alpha, but I just felt like my life was wasting away, okay? And my wife, Sandra, during that time finally said, Jordan, why don't you try fasting? And I was like, fasting? Like, who? I don't know. I don't know. I just never thought about it. Like, who even fasts anymore? But I thought, okay, like, I'm desperate, right? So I'm going to do that sort of Hail Mary thing, right? The Hail Mary throw. I'm going to try fasting, so I'm going to just go for it. I'm going to do a multi-day fast. So I, I did that. Okay, tried to do a multi-day fast. This is point number one. Don't try and do a multi-day fast. If you have not fasted, start small. Don't be like me. Okay, in other words, start small. Okay, you could do something like I'm going to do like one or two meals. You know, I'm going to do a half day or like sun up to sundown. Okay, and then when you've done that several times, you do that one week, you fast like 
a half a day in one week, and then the next week, you're like, okay, I'm going to fast that same half a day the next week, and then the next week, the same thing. And when you've done that in a rhythm, then you can begin to stretch into, let's say, a full day or a second day. But start small. I didn't start small, okay? I was trying to be, I don't know, a monk or something. Anyway, so here I am fasting, and of course I get all irritable. I'm like, ah, I'm cranky, I'm going around, I'm not working, and here I am, I'm not even eating now. And of course, of course my wife's like, what's happening to you? Like, I thought you're supposed to be like fasting, that's like a holy thing, and you're like all this like hangry, angry irritableness and all this, it was a mess, okay? Point, fasting exposes who you really are. See, if I'd never fasted, I wouldn't have known that I was actually that way. And you can say, well, fasting, it's just because you're hungry. Well, no, it's because the hunger is exposing what's really there, okay? And it's actually through fasting we can begin to grow in holiness, right? Which is one of the things I was talking about. Okay, okay so I was all irritable and this kind of thing, and I was like waking up in the night. That's another thing that happens. You wake up in the night, my solution, just drink a whole lot of water. Okay, drink a lot of water, it feels full, you fall back asleep, but then you have to pee later, but anyway. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, and during the day, I didn't know what to do, right? Remember, I'm not working, and so I'm like stuffing my face with YouTube. I'm just like watching all this crap, and like, that's where I discovered Jordan Peterson. I remember, my goodness. Anyway, don't do that. Don't be like me. There's not a political commentary on Peterson. I'm just saying... Take the extra time you saved from like grocery shopping and cleaning and cooking and all of that stuff, and instead, why not invest it in, in prayer and reading, right? And like you're, you're cutting out the food, you might as well add in like the true and greater food, like the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? So you, you want to be able to see, say like Jesus, I have food to eat you know nothing about. That's where we want to go. That's John 4.32. Okay, so I wasn't, I wasn't really doing that. I wasn't spending my extra time in word and prayer. I was stuffing my face with YouTube. But I did, I did do my regular readings. And in my regular time with Jesus, I was reading through, and I got to that story about the woman who poured out the alabaster bar at the f- jar at the feet of Jesus. And you remember what the disciples do? They're like, ah, like what a waste. They waste, she wasted a whole year worth of wages, Jesus. You know, and I remember reading that text. And I just felt like the spirit come down on me so strong and speak to me. He's like, Jordan, you've been feeling like your whole year was a waste. You've been feeling all of this frustration. And you know what? Your year was not a waste. You poured it out as a love offering for me. I'm like, what, Jesus? What are you talking about? And he's like, the people who've met Jesus through Alpha. I'm like, yeah, it's true. There was many people who met Jesus through Alpha. And he's like, starting Relevant McGill. I'm like, yeah, Relevant McGill is really amazing, Jesus. He's like, that was a love offering for me. You did not waste your year. I'm like, oh, my. This is amazing. I'm like, God has spoken? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, my fast. Sandra's at work, and I just heard the Domino's in my mind. And so I'm like, Domino's pizza? I had never ordered online before. I ordered Domino's pizza online, and you, it has this little taskbar. I didn't know. It has this little taskbar. It's like, order submitted. And it's like, a minute later, it's like, being pushed in the oven. And it's like, then it has a countdown, like 12 minutes, 11 minutes. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm, and I got up and I went right to Domino's and I sat there and I waited till the pizza came hot out of the oven and I stuffed my face with it. Don't be like me, okay? <laughs> Don't stuff your face with pizza after fasting. Eat light and healthy meals after you fasted. Oh my. <laughs> 
You know, it's only in preparing this sermon that I realized that in that very first fast did I hear from God in that way. I'd forgotten all about it. And God also heard from me. I got an offer of employment within days after that whole year of ridiculousness. <sighs> a few other things I've learned since then that if you want to fast, you're going to need to plan for it. Okay? If you have roommates, maybe let them know. If you have a spouse, let them know. The other day I came home, my wife had cooked up this wonderful Tuscan chicken. The table was set. I was like, I just can't do this. Okay, so if you have roommates, let them know. It's helpful. You have to plan in advance, especially if you're getting into a rhythm. Okay, and some of you might be wondering when I say that, like, let people know. Aren't I supposed to, like, hide it or something? What about our teaching text in Matthew 6.16? When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Instead, wash your face. What does this mean? Okay, what it means is, um, <laughs> I found John Piper really helpful uh, on this. He says, fast don't fast in order to be seen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he says, there's a difference between fasting in order to be seen and, fast and being seen fasting. There's a difference between fasting in order to be seen and being seen fasting, okay? If you're fasting as virtue signaling, you have your reward, okay? But it is okay to be seen fasting. This is the example like we saw in the church in Antioch where they all fast together as a community, Okay, there's nothing wrong with being seen fasting. Okay, in fact, it's quite helpful to fast in community. And this would be another very practical point. Okay, fast in community. Okay, this is something that I'm saying we want to do as a church. Okay, as a rhythm. Okay, and so this is something I want to invite our whole church into is to start with small fasting and regular intervals. Okay, you can do it in the context of your city group or your change group. And uh, the way that we're going to be doing this in our Verdun congregation, because I'm locally pastoring there, is that once a month, the whole congregation is going to be fasting on the first Monday of the month. That's the day that we do prayer and worship together as, as a little congregation. So we're going to break that fast with prayer and worship. We'll do it together once a month. And Evan, bless you, brother, is going to be communicating with you what sort of rhythm that might work for you downtown. Okay, but we want to invite you into something like that. The final thing I would uh, say practically here is resist the urge to judge others or your own experience. Okay, just let your fast be what it was. Okay, some people are going to have like these revelations, and some people are just going to feel hungry. Okay, and that's going to vary from time to time. Okay, and just let your fast be what it was. Okay, resist the urge to judge it. Remember, it is an act of devotion to Jesus. It is an act of love to Jesus. Just give it to him and let it be what it was. Okay, he's that good. Okay, this is how we fast. <clears throat> and I'm going to end with this. <clears throat> I'm about to go on a sabbatical for four months. This is my last time preaching here until the fall. Bless you all. And um, this is meant to be a time of like rest and refreshment and also deeper, deeper study, right? And I want to say, I want to say this. Some, some years ago, I noticed when you read the Gospels carefully, it says that when Jesus went into the wilderness, he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there he fasts and he prays. He faces temptation, he's obedient. It says he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know how it says he came out? 
says he came out in the power of the Spirit. He went into the wilderness full of the Spirit and came out in the power. My friends, I want this to be true of you and me. That we go into the wilderness full of the Spirit and we come out in the power. It is so easy to avoid the wildernesses in your life. You can live as a Christian and just completely avoid suffering with Jesus. You can just eat the bread of this world and fast from him completely. Don't let that be true of you. Fast instead from this world and feast on Jesus. And I pray that that would be true during my sabbatical. That this would be time of rest and refreshment. And so, of course, it's going to be a time of fasting prayer. Fasting prayer for what? That the deliverance and the healing and the people who are meeting Jesus, that wouldn't just stay as it is. I'm so thankful for what I've seen. We are seeing that. But it would grow and it would increase and multiply. 30, 60, and 100 fold. Why do you think the church has no power and joy in the West? We are a prayerless and a fastless people. My friends, this is the invitation of Jesus. Come, follow me. And he fasted and he invites us into that. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Fasting is this invitation and this response into a life of joy and power with Jesus. Won't you come and follow him? Yes, I started by saying your Christian life will have many unmet longings. But let's feast together on the promise of Jesus who said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much that you invite all of us into a whole life of formation and dependence on you, body, spirit, soul, mind included. Oh, God, help us to see this invitation as an opportunity, not an oppressive command, but a life of deep, of transforming joy and power in your spirit. Jesus, have mercy Oh, we confess the ways that we have neglected your power and joy in our life and just sought to self-indulge. God, have mercy. I pray for the people here who feel stuck in their relationship with Jesus. Jesus, would we fast and pray that you would unstuck us and move us into deeper joy and abiding with you. I pray for the person here who's stuck in a cycle of sin, addiction, and temptation. Jesus, in your mercy, would you move them to fast and pray that they would be set free and your power would be made perfect in weakness. And Jesus, I pray for those of us here who want to see our face move from sophistry to substance. Jesus, would you give us vision to move against the injustice and the hurt that we see in the city to make us a people of simplicity and generosity and service. Oh, come gracious Holy Spirit and fill this place. We respond in joy and worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.